0: Hey, Love Leaders, it's Dr. Shannon Roberts, your host for the Love Leading Podcast, where we discuss how to create connection in your most important relationship that God designed, bringing health and sometimes healing while deepening intimacy. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Love Leading with Dr. Shannon show. We have a great lineup for you guys today. I have a fellow colleague, a well-respected professional in our field here with us today. And so I want to introduce to you Sage Roberts. Welcome, Sage. Thank you. It's great to be here. Sage, you are a licensed mental health counselor in the same kind of category. Can you just give us a little bit of background? How did you become a therapist. A lot of people don't even understand what those letters mean Uh and why.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a licensed mental health counselor, which in Florida, therapist and mental health counselor Ring pretty similar to be used interchangeably. Um, in other states, there can be some differences.
0: Yeah, another um, thing might be like a licensed professional counselor, an LPC mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, which is what it was in North Carolina when I lived there. So in North Carolina, I was a licensed professional counselor associate. Then I moved to Florida and then I was a registered mental health counselor intern, which did not sound as impressive as a <laughs> licensed professional counselor associate. Definitely hard to build your caseload saying you're an intern, <laughs> even though you're done with school and all those things easier in North Carolina the way it's set up I think for the titles
0: right so
1: I have been a fully licensed mental health counselor for a little over a year and I've been in private practice in this specific private practice um at CCST a little over two years to kind of give some backstory of
0: that of time. Yeah. I love to give some educational background to um, my community because, you know, gosh, it is so confusing out there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, let's just, if you don't mind. I know this wasn't kind of in our lineup, but I mean, it's worth um, just a little bit of a deeper dive The anyone that's um, licensed in the state as a professional um, person that's able to give um, private counseling for a fee either mm-hmm. is um, a licensed mental health counselor, a licensed clinical social worker, or a licensed marriage and family therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Which is very different than coaching. And I know you've done some life coaching. Can you give us a little bit of background of what the difference is for our community out there?
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So life coaching is going to be present focused. So it's on what you're doing right now and then focusing on the future whereas mental health counseling is going to be more digging into the past. So that's where we would talk about trauma, potentially, where we would talk about childhood impacts, your upbringing, all of those types of things. Coaching can be really helpful in focusing in the future focus, and there's definitely a time and a place for that. And there is not any therapeutic interventions happening in life coaching. So that's, they're what essentially what a therapeutic intervention is means that it's evidence-based based on research based on science that's what we get our degrees in and that's why we go to school for so long it feels like
0: yeah so that we
1: can use those
0: and just a real quick I mean I mean we've done um at four years to get our bachelor's degree and at least a two-year master's minimum and then Gosh, I can't even remember because I was I was licensed a dinosaur ago. How many of those supervised hours after you get out of your master's degree and pass your counselor exam do you have to have?
1: Let me look that up because I don't remember. Oh, it's
0: okay. I think it's around a thousand, right? Does it's that sound like, Yeah And that's paid supervision, right?
1: Yes, so you're paying for supervision. You're working at a reduced rate. I know for me, in my practicum and internship, uh, while I was in well, for practicum, I guess, yeah, and internship, while I was in school, I went to Liberty, and so during the time that I was there, you weren't allowed to charge for your sessions, so you had to do free labor and that too. Mm-hmm. So you were paying for your master's program, having to work all those hours, which was usually equal to full time hours, and not able to charge for the private practice setting too. So that was fun.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, even though therapists do coaching, mm-hmm. uh, definitely a therapist is going to have all of that background. Mm-hmm. And then some coaches don't have any of that. So that's that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the area that I think that I try to educate my um, mm-hmm. people in that all therapists are qualified for coaching, but not all coaches are qualified for therapy. Correct. Yeah, yes,
1: absolutely. There's a huge difference between seeing someone who is a therapist qualified for coaching from seeing a coach that is qualified for coaching.
0: hmm And on top of that, even a lot of therapists then go and they get special certifications and they um, maybe focus on a a special area of therapy that they get expertise in, in our CEUs every other year. Correct. And you mentioned right now, I mean, I know you do more than just trauma, but trauma is like a very specialized niche. Can you go into that a little bit?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, I personally am trained in EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Um, Wait, yeah, is- you gotta slow
0: that down because <laughs> even I don't. I mean, EMDR is the hoo ha in the area of trauma, and mm-hmm. I and they and people say, "Well, what is EMDR?" It's like mm-hmm. I don't know, eye movement something. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I know my uh, my aunt always tells people that I do electroshock therapy, which is not what EMDR <laughs> is and then my mom tells people that i do mdma which is also not therapy that is a drug so it really gives off the wrong message so emdr is a elect or is sorry now i'm on the wrong page is eye movement desensitization reprocessing so essentially it is that we've found that utilizing eye movements we can actually reprocess and rewire the way that the brain is wired so by using bilateral stimulation So activating the left and right hemispheres of your body activates left and right hemispheres of your brain and or bilateral stimulation can also be buzzing in your hands or it can be eye movements. So there's a lot of different ways that therapists do the eye movement piece. You can use a light bar, which um, is great, or you can use your fingers, which is also fun. But then your arm gets a little bit tired. Um, and you can use the buzzers. I usually use the buzzers when I use, do EMDR therapy for the processing, because then you're able to close your eyes so that you can consider the picture. Um, whereas with your eyes open, sometimes that can be challenging for individuals, but it's helpful because you can do eyes open or eyes closed. Sometimes with a trauma background, we don't feel super safe closing our eyes in a room with a stranger, which right. makes sense. So, uh, essentially what, EMDR is, is it's moving your, where traumatic memories are stored in your amygdala to where normal memories are stored in your hippocampus through the use of the eye movements or bilateral stimulation. So essentially the best way to put that is food poisoning, right? So when we experience food poisoning, we store that in our amygdala because our amygdala, our fight or flight response does not want us to get food poisoning again. So if you get food poisoning off of pizza, for example, then every time you drive by that pizza place, your stomach starts to growl, When you hear somebody mention the word pizza, when you smell pizza, you might have that kind of upset stomach feeling again because your body is trying to tell your brain, please don't make me eat that again. I was going to die last time. Yeah. Yeah. So if we did for food poisoning, it would move it to your hippocampus so that then those trauma memories associated with how sick you got after you ate that pizza are then in your hippocampus so that you would remember eating pizza like we normally remember what we ate for breakfast. So we don't have that full trauma response. Our body sensations don't give us all this upset and all this anxiety.
0: That is so cool. And what I love about what we kind of do is um, because we're Christian licensed therapists, we... um, Not only uh, it's like, what are you doing there? Well, we don't, we, we, there's a rhyme and a reason. I mean, we're not just in here just talking for no reason. And then they are all right, paid friends. See you later. Right. Right. We're really doing interventions that um, science has um, tried and true, because in our formatting, we believe that you know something greater than ourselves. God reveals Himself not only through biblical, which we we do um, to the comfort level of all of our clients, mm-hmm. but He reveals Himself through His creation, which is science. And there is a science base to the things that we do in there. So I love that. I love that you we are all trained to kind of know and understand why we do things and it's proven that it works. And what is mm-hmm. the what is the kind of success rate what, what kinds of things can you expect when you when you do EMDR?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so with EMDR, usually the kind of number of sessions that I recommend is around 12 sessions. So 12 sessions is not I'm not giving any guarantees that you come in you do 12 <laughs> sessions you're completely healed boom, bada, boom, bada, bing, we're done. Um, But it essentially, usually takes 12 sessions to go through all of the phases of EMDR, focus on one certain belief system. So what EMDR is, is it's a beliefs focused approach because every traumatic experience that we have reinforces some kind of belief about ourselves. So the first session we focus on coping skills, we utilize some specific EMDR resources. So one might be where we are developing a container So that's a safe place in your head to store things when we're not ready to process them, which works really great for EMDR therapy because then we're able to focus one incident at a time rather than being overwhelmed with all of the things at one time, or we might use a safe space. So a space in your mind where you can go to whenever you feel overwhelmed and we use that in and out of EMDR therapy. Once those resources are built in addition to other coping skills that we might utilize from other trainings and other therapeutic interventions um, because I integrate EMDR into my practice. So we use some other things perhaps too. I like to read the yeah. And so then, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I mean,
0: this is fascinating.
1: (laughs) Uh, So then after that, after we have our resources, we would then try to pinpoint and really narrow down what is that core belief system that we're working with. So maybe it's, I'm not worthy I'm not good enough. Maybe it is. It's my fault. I should have done something, something that's reinforced by an initial trauma and in early childhood development that then got right. reinforced by every other building block on top of that. So, for example, sometimes people come in and their first what they would consider to be traumatic experience or what others would tell them and justify as being traumatic um, was in adulthood it's still building a lot of times what they end up processing in EMDR, is something from early childhood, in addition to that trauma, because it, that trauma built on what they have, what happened in early childhood. So, you know, kind of a silly example is, you know, let's say you recognize you have this really big fear of abandonment and it's starting this core belief of I'm not worthy and everybody's going to leave me. So that belief of, I'm not worthy, or I'm unsafe if people leave. May have been started because when you were a kid, you were around five years old. Your parents left you at aftercare without telling you, week after week after week, and it reinforced this belief of, okay, they're all going to leave me, and I'm I'm not safe.
0: It's uncertain and it's dangerous, and you um, fill in the blank. It's because they don't love me, or something like that.
1: Exactly. Yep. So then,
0: I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: So once we have that belief, we would then create a target sequence plan. So that's where we're listing out each of those traumas that have built upon that foundation, and that's when we would then go into the eye movements and or bilateral stimulation and process through that a little bit more. And I can go more into that phase too about what that looks like.
0: So I love this, and the re- and the reason why I I am just an avid believer that um, even in a therapeutic treatment, you need a team. Um, you have all of your professional medical, uh, you know, you have a certain doctor that as a female, you go a OBGYN and um, you have your internist and your um, family practitioner. And if God forbid you have a specialized disease, you're going to go see a specialist. And this is why I enjoy so much um, in private practice, because we're kind of a lot of times in these rooms by ourselves. And um, sometimes it feels very much like you're on an island by yourself, but in private practice, building those core partners that, um, you know, become a part of the the whole or the the team. Because in my experience in working with you, it's been so great because we refer back and forth. I don't see... Um, anybody that I'm seeing as a couple, as an individual, it's not evidence-based practice to have a, a, a marital or a couples therapist also take on um, the individual of the couple as well, because uh, that we can go into a whole slew mm-hmm. of the reasons why that's such a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. And so by just the sheer basis of what you're talking about, sometimes in starting to work with a couple... Um, some of these earlier family of origin um, of betrayal or pain points start to really manifest themselves in the coupleship. And so a lot of times I'll refer to you, um, to do some individual work with one of the two. And, um, it, it only then further improves, you know, in the interventions that I can provide in the couple. I don't know if you want to comment on any of that. Mm -hmm.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think one of the best parts about that too, is that then once someone's already started the therapy and therapeutic interventions, that then they come in and they say, Oh, I realize in couples counseling, that I feel pretty triggered when this happens and then Uh I feel this belief about myself. And so that makes it really clear to get into that target sequence planning. And then sometimes it works the other way around where it's, I'm triggered. I have no idea why I'm triggered. Every time we choose with this mouth open, it's driving me crazy. And I just, I don't know what that's about. And then.
0: me. Pizza, and it
1: sometimes, smells like pizza. <laughs> right, it's pizza. And so then we recognize, oh, maybe it's from that food poisoning that you got about pizza, right? It's not always that clean and that silly of an example. I know, I know. But if only it were. But um, So sometimes it works the other way around, where they come in, they recognize that they're getting triggered, and so then we can work through that, and then they have more success in couples counseling. And then from the other side of that, sometimes with what they're working on with me, sometimes they realize that they're, they have all of these marital issues and communicating with their husband. And so I can take them to a point, here's how you communicate your needs, but I can't help you with how he's responding to the way that you communicate your needs. So Mm -hmm. that's where I would refer to couples counseling, or if there's things that are coming up in the relationship and there's relational traumas that are on that target sequence plan, then sometimes that means, okay, I think you guys would be better off working through this with a couples counselor because I don't do couples counseling because yeah. I'm gonna
0: trigger I'm gonna as much as we try, I mean, this sounds awful, but you know, when we are working it with an individual, we know we have to actually trigger, we uh-huh. have to actually initiate some kind of sensational amygdala, you know, re- reaction uh-huh. in order to then get the intervention to do the neural pathway re- rewiring. And so uh-huh. a lot of times, you actually have to have the trigger point person in the room. And that's where I kind of, I come in with, with Mm the couple is we, we try as individuals to trigger our clients the same way, maybe their spouse does, but until the spouse is in the room, it doesn't have that full kind of presence. Right. So Mm -hmm. this is what's so lovely about, you know, the work that we do together is that we can work hand in hand from kind of maybe different ends of the continuum towards the same goal.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me why, why do you, I mean, listen, I know that there are two, two, if I'm on a plane and I want to engage in conversation with somebody next to me, I know exactly how to kind of throw out what I do. And it Mm -hmm. is interesting, but the minute I say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a therapist. I work with high conflict couples, this you know, this is like window comes up, like I don't know, I have to really watch what I say. So we get a bad rap a lot of times, but so why? Why would you even want to kind of get in this field?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because it actually goes back to kind of the belief systems about EMDR. So when I was in high school, I was in a psychology course, and it was actually the first time that I can remember coming home and wanting to do more research and wanting to study more because uh, I was never really felt that anything came naturally to me with academics. I always felt like I was having to put in a lot more work than everybody else. Ah. And I couldn't see how I didn't have any interest in what I was going to do in the future, because it seemed to me like I wasn't going to be good at anything. And so then when I got into psychology, I felt this natural connection to this field and ah. to all of the mental health because of the mental health experiences of people around me that I'd always been a part of. And so it kind of, I would say that it really capitalized on my core belief that I'm responsible. So I felt like, oh, my gosh, this has to be my calling because I'm responsible to heal everybody around me. And this is how I'm going to do it is <laughs> I'm going to get the education and then I can heal everybody in my life and everyone will feel better. For uh,
0: because... We're all ble- <laughs> heart bleeders. That's how what draws us in the field, right? We are by nature, those that want to really get in and help the emotional hurting I get it Mm
1: -hmm. absolutely and that was kind of always the narrative in choosing a field was okay well our family could really use an orthodontist because what if my kids have messed up teeth right and so what if (laughs) you know we we could really use one of these we could really use one of these and that then now it's of course the joke of oh thank god we have a therapist in the family but too bad we can't use you So there's no benefits because I can't see my family members and whatnot um, as clients. So they felt really gypped by that when we got there. Um, yes. but anyway, we <laughs> not really professionally, capitalize
0: not professionally anyway, right?
1: <laughs> not professionally. Like, yes. So it kind of capitalize on this belief system. So I've always kind of, I would say, wrestle with the calling concept for that reason, because I'm not sure if I was called into this field or if I kind of fell into it when it comes to that belief system. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm grateful that I'm here because it has been a huge opportunity for me. And I feel honored in every single story I get to be a part of and the way that I can help people change their belief systems about what they believe about themselves too. And so with that belief of I'm responsible, kind of what we would work towards in EMDR therapy is towards, I can recognize appropriate responsibility. So I recognize it's not my responsibility to heal everybody around me. Even if I am the therapist in the family, I can't be the therapist to everyone in my family. I can send them
0: yeah, to the right resources. Grow with that. That's true. Absolutely, I that. you know. At, at, having been a practice center owner for a long time, I always knew what um, counselors were either good at their trade or not. You know, because um, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. So I measure it. I measured it by um, seeing um, clients self. Refer their friends and family to their therapist. And um, the therapist um, gets all of their th- Um, clients returning on a very regular basis and gets to the end of their treatment plan. And I get the benefit of hearing about your work in my room because all of the people you work with just brag on you, but you are full girl. I mean, like you you say, you've only been fully licensed for a year. You've been practicing for longer than that under supervision, but listen, uh, not a lot of private therapists out there have the kind of work caseload that you've been able to acquire. So I, I hear about it personally, and I see it professionally on paper and on your calendar. I mean, you're good at what you do. So I am glad to have you on my team and in my um wheelhouse of partnering. So um kudos to you and hats off. So you also have this other thing about you. I mean, not only do you have this capacity to just get in there, not worry about getting um, you know, your hands dirty and walking people through trenches, but you have this like. You have this like very creative marketing flair. So I I would love to um, let my community know about the resources that you put up out there free of charge on your social media platforms. You have this thing, Therapy Things by Sage.
1: Therapy Things with Sage.
0: With Sage. Therapy Mm -hmm. Things with Sage. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So um, I might, I can't even remember how it really started. I think Actually, I do know how it started. It's coming back to me now. So during the pandemic, when I was in transition, I had this thought because I was seeing all of these different individuals, especially on in social media, talking about the inaccessibility to mental health care because their insurance wasn't covering it, et cetera. And, or they just didn't want to do virtual because of the pandemic. So I just had this thought of, you know, I have the time to even do additional research on topics that I feel under qualified in or, have a lack of knowledge in. So I might as well just put it on this Instagram account, because then at least I can always go back to that if I forget a concept. Oh. So it was security for me, I would say, and then also giving others a resource. And so I started creating different graphics because I was messing around with graphic design and I was messing around with a Procreate on an iPad and because I didn't know what to do for work. So I was just tracing people's family portraits and creating caricatures and stuff (laughs) randomly and selling those on Etsy. And then I thought, well, I could do this with therapy. I could create an understanding of therapeutic tools if I could simplify it enough for Instagram, which Mm -hmm. in and of itself has a challenge because therapy has so many nuances to it, especially interventions. Yeah. And of course, therapy is not a therapeutic intervention, but it gives you a good um, kind of exposure into what therapy can look like. And I think for a marketing strategy, it gives clients a really good understanding of kind of my style and my phrasing and the way that I go about things, especially because I put a lot of affirmations, which is what you'd hear in my therapy office, especially.
0: Absolutely. Because 40% 40% of the effectiveness of counseling is finding the right fit. And so the more um, people can ingest you and your style, um, the better. And I love it. So I, I want you, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity, but we're also going to be dropping in the, um, the show notes how that they can connect, connect with you in all your um, media formats. Um, so that's been wonderful. And I've been the benefactor of that. I mean, you came through and observed um, a whole 16-hour, two-day intensive mm-hmm. in my office. And then afterwards, you put together some um, resources of the things that I was verbally uh, writing out to my um, clients. And I have that now. And it's so valuable. I mean, I thank you for that. So-
1: I made that because I heard it and I just loved it so much and I didn't want to forget the concept. And now I use that graphic too, to also say, okay, well, I sat in on intensive one time, this is what I took away from it. So this gives you kind of a good taste into what you could get if you do this intensive. Oh,
0: okay. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate Mm -hmm. it. So um, let, I mean, I know that the um, holidays are coming up and you know, these are particularly difficult for a lot of our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know this sh- um, show is going to air as we near the holidays. So, um, I mean, what are some just a, just maybe one, two, three tips? I'm sure you've done one of your therapy things with Sage on this, on mm-hmm. preparing for the holidays. Can you just give give us like one, two or three of those little tidbits really quick?
1: Mm-hmm. I would say, I think the biggest thing around the holidays is stretching your empathy for what other people might be going through Mm -hmm. because we can't possibly know what others are going through. So when someone has a really big reaction to something, I, I mean, my family gets very annoyed about this. Probably this is the benefit of having a trauma therapist in the family, but I will (laughs) often say, well, I wonder if that's not triggering something for them. I'm curious what that might be triggering. And so instead of jumping to fight back, choosing to get curious and ask yourself what might be going on for them, Mm -hmm. and then even curious with yourself of why is this bringing up stuff for me? What triggers am I experiencing based on this conflict? That That is
0: a great lens to start watching behaviors through and just being able to kind of just take a breath and kind of step aside and and leaving room for curious thought. I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything else?
1: Uh, and anything that you have
0: on a holidays for couples, I, I, I love- do know for couples, um, you know, a lot of times for couples, they just automatically kind of get sucked in by extended family expectations. Mm. So I really encourage them to come in and, and decide for the us, you know, what is our core um, value set on what we want to, as a couple, build into the holidays? And how can we, you know, incorporate that and still um, extend the grace to the extended family and have tough conversations sometimes mm-hmm. so that um, both can get honored?
1: Mm-hmm. And those
0: are really tough, right, And um, because we both come in with differing backgrounds, differing traditions, differing value sets, and then sometimes not even having the, um, you know, just the understanding that maybe that's worth on us conversation or two or three or four. And sometimes that extends even beyond with tough conversations with mm-hmm. extended family members. So I'm just challenging them to, um, Well, first, giving them permission that it's okay, and two, challenging them to do that kind of hard work of discussion, of thinking through it. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's so huge about the giving someone permission that it's okay. It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to need couples counseling. It's okay to have experienced trauma. I think that all of that really goes into who you are as a therapist, who we are as therapists and why I love working on a team with you is because we give that permission and we start in that permission. So I love the way you work at that.
0: Awesome. Okay. This is not on there, but as we're narrowing up, this is the question I ask all of my um, guests on my podcast and I don't give them my heads up. Okay. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Um and, but I do think there is some value. We don't get to show up, um, you know, bleeding in our rooms at all. And, and, and there's this thing called transference and countertransference that we're not really supposed to bring a lot of our personal. But listen, we all ble- um, bleed red, too. Mm-hmm. And there's also this um, desire of mine to put out there that we're authentic. Uh, we use our own advice. We Mm practice our own, um, you know, self-care to include seeing our own therapist. A lot of the times Mm -hmm. Um, we all experience life um, challenges and setbacks and griefs and losses. So I know that you're married. And um, so I just want you to share with my couples out there, you know, what one thing did you guys have to rely on that you would want to speak to that got you through a dark chapter? <laughs>
1: it's funny cuz I wonder if you could even guess it from what I've already revealed in this podcast now looking back. <laughs> um but so my biggest or I think our big one of our big things was understanding each other's triggers. And so specifically in our marriage, I've experienced a lot of big losses. And big griefs. And as a trauma therapist, I recognize grief as traumatic. So I recognize that our brains weren't really designed to understand death. And so our brains struggle to process that sometimes. And so my brain struggled to process a lot of grief. And my husband was learning how to support me in grief, learning about mental health, learning mm-hmm. about triggers and all of those things in the early days of our marriage and we were very much learned through the fire. So in the first 7 years of a ma- of our marriage we've experienced uh, five really big losses. Yeah, I think (laughs) like numbers are hard for me. Yeah, Um, but (laughs) in the first year, yep, big big losses. So in the first year, I lost two different people to uh, one death by suicide, second death by intentional overdose, Mm -hmm. and so that was in our first really actually couple months of marriage where it just felt like things kept coming and kept coming and kept kept hitting and kept hitting. Mm And so learning how to understand trauma triggers in and of myself to recognize when I was triggered and then him trying to learn how to support me was a really big challenge. And I was so grateful that we had so many good mentors in our life who were able to walk us through what that was looking like. And you being one of them, because I'm married to your nephew. So (laughs) uh, you being a voice in that and helping us understand what grief does to the brain and all of those things was really helpful for me personally. For my husband and then through all of the positive voices in our life that really pushed us to get curious, to understand each other and have a lot of grace in the midst of it. Not using trauma responses as an excuse for behavior, but as an understanding. And for me, especially shutting down was my key trauma response was playing the same song on repeat because I knew what to expect when the song would keep playing and listening to that and sitting with that. And Hayden was going, essentially calling you going, I don't know what to do with what's happening in here. And I would just want to support her. So please help me figure this out. And so calling different people and getting some insight when you haven't had those experiences yourself to learn and really choosing to be vulnerable and say, we don't want to do this on our own.
0: So we need some help. Yeah. Reaching out. I love that. And you guys are such a bright light in the community in which you serve and, and play and have fun and, and, and influence. And so, um, Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of this this interview and this um, show and just giving all of what you do to the community and willing to give back in capacities like this. So if anyone out there wants to try to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Best way would be email. So my email is sage, S-A-G-E at Christian Counseling of com. So ccstcounseling.com.
0: Awesome. And you, we're going to have all of the links to your um, social me- media um, platforms in the show notes. With that being said, love you so much and um, you take care. Love you too. See you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening, love leaders. Be sure to check out all our links in the show notes and visit me at shannonrobertscounseling.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any others. Until next time, go lead in loving well.